Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I am your host, Perseus Poku. We want to welcome everyone and uh, continue our discussion on the book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. The book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. As we've been talking about uh, the righteousness of the believer not found in himself or herself, but rather the righteousness um, given to us by God. It is the standard that God himself has set, not that of human standards. So Paul walks us through what it means to be righteous, the standard of righteous living, the standard of righteous conduct. And then in chapter four, uh, he pulls back the information dealing with Abraham. And he continues the theme of how Abraham was justified and the principles that carry through the New Testament of how we are justified. We're justified by our faith. It's not based on works. Lest any man or woman should boast. It's the gift of God. Righteousness is a gift of God. We talked about how Paul uh, cited Psalm 32, 1 through 2, when he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that type of person is blessed. We should avoid this mindset of the secular world, the world that does not know Jesus, uh, those who resist the movement of the Holy Spirit towards salvation, those in the world who dare scoff at God, who dare mock the scriptures. We should avoid thinking like they do. Many in the world have falsely assumed that we are born uh, with the tabula rasa. That's Latin for a clean slate, meaning uh, they argue rather that all of us are born with a clean slate and uh, there's no sin in us. That's what many in the world believe. They believe that we are shaped only by our environment So if you grow up in a good environment, uh, you grow up as a good person. If you grow up in a bad environment, then um, you become a bad person. But you're not not embedded with a sin problem. That's what many in the world believes. And that goes uh, blatantly against the word of God. God tells us we are born with a sin defect. Due to the fall of Adam, we all, all of us, 
Doesn't matter how cute the baby may be. Doesn't matter how pretty your granddaughter may be. If uh, uh, when they're born, we all are, are born with the sin DNA. All of us, and so ultimately, we are to uh, look at the overtures extended by God Himself, even through nature, as we learned in the early chapters of Romans, uh, that none of us will be left with an excuse. God says he extends his invitation even through nature. Uh, Nature should cause us to ask the question, where did these mountains come from? Uh, Where did these trees come from? Uh, Who created the universe? That's nature. And nature is God's symbolism towards humanity. These are questions we need to ask. And then as we ask these questions, if we're interested in the truth, God then uh, reveals more himself. And at the same time, the gospel has already been deposited. So those of us that know Jesus, we continue to proclaim the gospel, thus connecting our inquiries about life with the gospel, and the gospel fills in the blanks. So we that know Jesus, we must continue to evangelize. We must continue to disciple, and we help those with questions fill in the blank about who they are and what the standard is for manhood, what the standard is for womanhood, the standard for parenting, the uh, uh, standards for being children. All of these things are made more clear through Christ. So Paul, in chapter 4, is reminding us that it's not human efforts through works that justifies us, but as a believer, our faith, rooted in faith, is what justified us. That's right. Our faith rooted in faith. Paul, after making this statement, then shifts his attention back to Abraham. It is clear that this passage was written to those who esteemed Abraham and David. It's very likely that this passage was written to get the attention of the Jews in Rome. So Abraham, according to Paul, was justified uh, prior to physical circumcision as we cross-reference Genesis 17, 26. So it's not circumcision that saves us in terms of physical circumcision. Uh, the cutting off of the foreskin. That's not what saves us, as some of the Jews falsely believe. But God is interested in the circumcision of the heart, uh, the heart that has been bent toward Christ. That's what he's looking for. Abraham, according to Paul, was justified prior to his physical circumcision, as noted uh, in verses 9 through 12. Abraham, due to his faith, was justified prior to his physical circumcision, again, because of his faith. Likewise, the descendants of Abraham, uh, which we call mankind, are justified through the circumcision of the heart. So when you get a chance, read Genesis 17, uh, verses 5 through 26. Paul continues his argument on Abraham's faith by providing specific moments when Abraham displayed his faith. So he, he's arguing that Abraham was justified by his faith. Now he's given us evidence. He says, look, Abraham believed that God would give a son 
through his elderly wife. Verse 17 uh, of uh, Genesis uh, 17. Then he believed that God would use him to conceive a son even at 100 years old, verses 18 through 19. He had faith that God would fulfill his promise to him, verse 20. Then the chapter, uh, chapter 4 Romans, concludes with this assurance. Just like the aforementioned acts were counted as righteousness, anyone who believes in God through the Son can be justified, verses 23 through 25. And um, those verses I read earlier, uh, verse 17, verse 18 through 19, verse 20, uh, that's Romans chapter 4, not Genesis, Romans chapter 4. So Paul continues uh, his exegesis on Romans chapter 4. In chapter 5, uh, we see the transitional word, therefore, uh, let us know that the, the chapter is connected to the previous chapter. That's what the word therefore represents. After arguing his point, now Paul is ready to unpack what he just wrote. Since he illuminated his readers about the criteria for justification, he shares the benefits of having faith in God. Chapter 5 of Romans, verses 2 through 5. He itemizes the following. Justification brings peace with God. Number two, we all have access to God through faith. Number three, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Number four, we glory in tribulations. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance builds character. Character provides hope, which has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit. So after uplifting the hearts of his readers, Paul then transitioned to the work of Christ. Paul is attempting to demonstrate that our hope as believers are tied into Christ. This connection is dependable because the atonement of, of, of Christ is God's gift to humanity, verses 6 through 10. Moreover, the atonement uh, reconciles us back to the true and living God. The love of God persists. God still loves us. His love still persists. I realize that uh, we have these atheists and uh, we have these agnostics and uh, we have uh, those who are skeptics against the authentic- authenticity of God. And if we are true and, and truly objective to what we are seeing in our modern culture, uh, the more we've moved away from the scriptures, the more chaos has come into the picture. The more we disavow the existence of God, the more our homes are being fractured. So the more we uh, push God away, the more we say to ourselves, God does not exist, the more problems we see in our neighborhoods, the more problem we are seeing in our homes, the more problem we are seeing in the lives of our children, 
the more problems we're seeing in marriages because we are pushing God away from our lives. And since uh, more people have been pushing God away from their lives, we see an uptick in divorces. We see an uptick in financial ruins. We see an uptick in uh, our self-esteem, our low self-esteem. We see an uptick in suicides because we are pushing God away. But God offers a better life to all of us. He's offering righteousness. He's offering peace. He's offering joy that can only be found in him. So the reality and the genesis of sin is noteworthy. All of the evil that we see around us is not primarily an issue of less education, not necessarily an issue of abject poverty, or is it an issue of mental illness alone? The primary issue that man has to confront is sin, S-I-N, the breaking of God's standard or the uh, inability to live according to God's standards or God's law. That's sin. Sin ushered in death, and the only remedy is Jesus Christ. In his response to verses 13 and 14, author Jared Wilson stated the following. He says, look, Romans 5 and 14 offers us a glimpse of a truth that Paul more directly reveals in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, when he writes, as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. As sin and death entered the world through Adam, grace and life entered the world through Jesus. In this way, Jesus is the second or last Adam. This template, what is sometimes called typology, is seen throughout the Old Testament. All of the heroes of the faith were stained by Adam's sin. Jesus, the sinless redeemer of what Adam corrupted, is the truer and better Adam, the prophet and priest and king that we all so desperately need. So in that sense, Jesus is the last Adam. He is the perfect standard of what it means to live a righteous life. Um, Sin does exist. And the only way sin can be controlled is by the blood of the Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds us uh, again that the penalty for sin is death, but the free gift of God offered justification of life, verses 12 through 19 of chapter 5. Furthermore, where sin abounds, it leads to death. Uh, but in God, we're offered grace. We're offered righteousness. We're offered peace. And that's what we all should desire. And the salvation uh, that Paul is talking about in uh, Romans is really quite different than what other groups are offering. Uh, in Islam, your works have to outweigh, your good works have to outweigh your bad works. 
and Jehovah Witnesses, you have to work for your salvation. Um, in, 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 in Mormonism, you also have to work in conjunction uh, with, with proving your faith, but also uh, Mormonism um, identifies humanity as being uh, divine. And that's also an incorrect uh, gospel, an incorrect message. So it's only through Jesus, through the Bible, that we find the accurate definition of what it means to uh, be right with God, what it takes to get to know Jesus, what, what, what's the criteria for being saved. It's only through the message, uncorrupted. It's only through the message without eisegesis, meaning that without putting into the text what's not in the text, nor should we draw out of the text what's, uh, what's not in the text. So in eisegesis, you put into the text, but we as Christians are called to exegesis, which is to pull out of the text what's there, not to put into the, the scriptures what's not there or what uh, the scriptures are not saying. So in chapter 6, Paul continues his message of righteousness. He challenges the false theologies that some within the church have adopted. It is wrongly deduced by some that they can premeditate sin knowing that God forgives. Paul emphatically condemns this false interpretations of the scriptures. And I've, over the years, I've heard so many uh, churchgoers make this statement, uh, well, the Lord knows my heart. And that's true. God does know your heart. At the same time, he knows when we're not uh, doing things from a pure motive. He knows when we are premeditating, doing wrong, thinking uh, because God is able to forgive, I'm going to commit this sin anyway because God will forgive me if I ask for forgiveness. So Paul is saying, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. And Christians, as Christians, we do not premeditate sin. If you know something is wrong, don't sit there and plan to do it anyway. That's an indication that you may not know God. It's an indication that you uh, do not know the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's an indication that something is wrong if you can just sit there and premeditate doing wrong. We, We as believers, we don't do that. Now, do we make mistakes? Yes, we make mistakes. But it's not due to premeditation. It's due to uh, an error in, in, in judgment, in a lifetime judgment, without us sitting down and planning on doing it. It just so happens we were weak or uh, we were confused and we just happened to make the wrong decisions. But if we know something is wrong up front, we shouldn't continue to plan on committing the act anyway. That's not a good sign. He argues, Paul argues, that if we are dead to sin, then we are no longer uh, living in abundant life. He implements this illustration of death and life to further argue his point. Due to what Christ did on the cross, the stronghold of sin has been put to death. Baptism was a ceremony example that we went down into the body of water as sinners, but then when we come up, 
we are rising up as a new creature, new newness of light, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 6. In regards to the sanctification of believers, author Robert Gundry stated the following. He said, look, should believers sin in order that God may exercise his grace all the more and thus gain more praise for himself? The answer is an emphatic no. Baptism illustrates death to sin and coming alive to righteousness. So when we get baptized, that's what it's all about. We are showing others that uh, we are no longer under the stronghold of sin. We go in as sinners. We are coming out as new creatures. Not that baptism saves you as such groups preach because a body of water does not save you. What saves you or what justifies you is what Paul said in Ephesians 2.89. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. We are saved through our faith. That's what saves us. And again, we do not work to get saved, but we work because we are saved. Let me say it again. We do not work to get saved. Rather, we work because we are saved. Work does not save you. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. Furthermore, Paul continues his illustration concerning death, life, burial, and resurrection. He argues the following in verses 5 through 11. We have been united together in the likeness of his death. We shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old nature has been crucified with him. Those who are dead to sin have been free from sin. If we die with Christ, we should also live with him. So according to Paul, just like Jesus overcame the sin of death, believers are alive and dead to sin. So in other words, the same power that rose up Jesus from the dead is the same power that can help believers subdue their sinful nature. So, in finality, the old nature is suppressed, but not eradicated. So, let me highlight that. Our old natures as Christians still exist. It is still there, your old nature. Paul talks about the warring of his two natures. Uh, when he wanted to do good, he didn't do good because his old nature was warring with his new nature. So, just because we're saved, doesn't mean that the old nature has been eradicated. What happens is the more we pray, the more we study, we suppress the power of the old nature and keep it in check. So we're going to stop right there uh, and continue on our next episode dealing with a survey of the book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. We want to thank all of our new uh, listeners, whether you are in Fresno or Ashland, Kansas, or Hercules, Uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Accra, Ghana, Lake Stevens, Washington, and uh, Quezon City, Metro Manila. Uh, We have listeners all over, uh, Lahi, Hawaii, and Pennsylvania, West Virginia. We thank God for your listenership. Uh, France and, uh, again, Kentucky, uh, Michigan, all around the world, uh, New Mexico, um, and the uttermost part of the region, 
We thank you for your listenership, Nebraska, Ohio. Uh, we thank God for all of you in British Columbia. Now remember to do for the truth what so many people are doing for a lot. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's word, listen to the spirit and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.